bum bum bottom 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 bum
like how significant of a creator and a personality and a all around good human being Chad McBoseman was. He made the most of the time that he had. Yeah. He had this very private deadline. You yeah. know, he he understood what he was going through and he very consciously chose how he would spend his time and the type of influence that he would be. And I know that that's not everybody's path. When you get a diagnosis like colon cancer, you are not required to keep it to yourself. Um, And people need to hear the stories of what it's like to go through these tragic but human experiences. But the fact that he he chose a private life and that he kept to himself and he chose a public life that he spent uplifting others. Yeah. And then you, that's what's so inspirational. You look at his career and the roles that he's most known for, uh, not just T'Challa, but James Brown and Get On Up and Thurgood Marshall in Marshall and Jackie Robinson in 42. And he passed away on Jackie Robinson Day. Uh, you know, like he obviously was a man on a mission and he wanted to uplift and elevate these historic legendary lives in the eyes of mainstream entertainment. And he did an exceptional job of that. Get on up. If you have not watched that it's, movie. It's my favorite performance of his. Same, Absolutely same. astounding. I think it's one of the best music biopics around. Watch Get On Up and compare it to Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> the, the level of artistry and point of view on and experimentation. And experimentation is extraordinary. It's not just a musical biopic. It's a, a brilliant movie. Uh, and I had not seen 42, uh, the Jackie Robinson story before. And so I finally watched that as well. Uh, and I think that's a darn good movie too. And he is great in the film. Also, Harrison Ford I think it's the only time he's ever acted in a movie where he was not playing Harrison Ford. Uh, it's a really interesting movie on that aspect as well. Um, but but again, getting back to like the response and the level of love uh, that we were seeing online after his passing, you know, watching his Howard commencement speech where he was talking about his time uh, in the soaps and how he didn't want to play stereotypical characters. And he was a young guy when he turned his back on that job because he did not respect the level of writing or the level of care that the producers and writers were putting into that character. And, you know, I don't know if I could ever do such something like that, but he did, you know, he had a very strong sense of self and sense of art. And he wanted to uh, put good out in the world. And he did that. And he inspired so many people. And thanks to, you know, his turn into T'Challa, and he reached billions of people. And I think we're going to see his influence in the culture for a very long time. Absolutely. Like my heart goes out to and my gratitude goes out to his friends and cl- and family and close circle. Because by having this public influential career that he was working very hard right up to the end of his life, like that was time he could have spent with them. And the fact that they were willing to share him with us and with the world and with the upcoming generations, like, uh, uh, culture owes you a a debt of gratitude. Yeah. There's a sacrifice there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Chadwick Boseman, rest in power. 
Um, I, you know, I, I don't have much more else to say than that, but, uh, it's, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to talk about. But I, I mean, I, it reminds me to live more mindfully, like mm. think about not just the choice that is best for you, but the choice that is best for all, you know? Yeah. It's a somber way to start this episode, but at the same time, it's a celebration, you know, we're talking about Marvel Comics right now, and Marvel Comics has always been about the world outside your window. And clearly, Chadwick Boseman was all about the world outside his window. And we should all live that way. Absolutely. And getting into the Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer, going all the way back to his first appearance in Fantastic Four issue number what was it, 48, Anthony, I believe? <laughs> you got to check. <laughs> you got to check. You got to check. Going back to that, that first appearance where Galactus has arrived and it unites the world. And the world always needs a reminder of why to get united. And Galactus is a pretty good uniter. Uh, we talked about this a little bit during our 50th episode, but every time a new writer comes on board the Silver Surfer series, they have to contend with Galactus or more importantly, Norrin Rad's culpability regarding the deaths of billions of lives consumed by Galactus. Worlds Apart, the storyline that we're talking about on this week's episode, does not resolve the issue once and for all, but it's the start of an arc that I believe goes a long way in redeeming Norrin Rad, or at least healing Norrin of his deep and impossible shame. Uh, before we get on with the rest of this storyline, uh, I wanted to dig a little deeper into the concept and character of Galactus, the world devourer. That big purple dude with like an A&W root beer mug <laughs> for a hat. Yeah, that guy. Uh, <laughs> those first three issues, uh, Fantastic Four's 48, 49, and 50, are commonly referred to as the Galactus Trilogy, and they are considered one of the most accomplished storylines from the Silver Age of comics. Spawned from the minds of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, uh, the story concerns the arrival of Galactus on Earth after his herald, the Silver Surfer, spins in from the cosmos to offer warning. Get your affairs in order, humans. You're about to become breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a space god. Galactus is initially explained to be a space explorer named Galen who gained his cosmic abilities and bottomless appetite after he passed too close to a star. Lee and Kirby were tired of creating the same old megalomaniacal bad guys, and they were hunting for a threat that was a little more out there and apocalyptic. Kirby wanted something a little more biblical. Stan Lee wanted a godlike being who had zero interest in conquering the world, but instead merely needed the energy that our planet emits to sustain him so that he may meet another day. In Galactus's point of view, Earth is no different than a T-bone steak or a monstrous pile of mashed potatoes. Ooh, mashed Delicious. potatoes. I like them. After Lee and Kirby, uh, the origins of Galactus grew into something even more cosmically dreadful. Writer Mark Gruenwald revealed that Galen was actually a survivor from the previous universe that existed before ours was born out of the Big Bang. When Galen's universe started to fade, he merged with the sentience of the universe and became Galactus. His powers are so immense that he needs the life energy of planets to keep him breathing and strutting around the spaceways. What's great about Galactus is that he's not a supervillain, right? He's an entity who needs to eat 
like all of us. As such, the comics have portrayed him as a bad guy and sometimes a good guy, or a guy who's trying to make his body work in the universe. My all-time favorite Galactus story occurs in Al Ewing's Ultimate Storyline, where he ceases being the World Devourer and transforms into Galactus, the Lifebringer. I'm not going to get into all that right now, but that storyline happens somewhere between the Worlds Apart storyline and the end of the Slot and Allred story arc. The Lifebringer will appear later on down the line, and I'm really excited to discuss that aspect of Galactus in a future episode. Mm, me too. Yeah. Uh, while Silver Surfer is most often associated as the Herald of Galactus, uh, the World Devourer has had several other Heralds over the years, including the Airwalker, Fire Lord, the Destroyer, that big scary metal dude from Thor, uh, Terax the Tamer, and Nova. He's always on the lookout for a new scout, and yeah, that comes up too in this Worlds Apart storyline. But Lisa, before we can get into all of that, we need to check in with our love guru. How are we using Stephanie Baron Hall this week? We're using her book, The Enneagram in Love, a roadmap for building and strengthening romantic relationships to figure out how an astronomer with a dark past and an earth girl with managerial experience <laughs> can make love happen on a surfboard. That sounds dirty. Yeah, like the, the, the Enneagram is a personality system that categorizes people by their core motivations, the underlying sense of yearning that, when unchecked, drives unconscious behavior. In episode 50, Brad and I used Stephanie Baron Hall's descriptions to type ourselves, as well as Don Greenwood and Nord Rad. Just a quick aside of why I always call her Stephanie Baron Hall. Yeah, why? Is because I like I, uh, uh, John Wilkes Booth. I know or, it makes her sound like an American assassin, <laughs> um, but like she's not a doctor. Uh huh. So I can't call her Doctor Hall? Baron Hall. Oh, and like or, or you've and, fallen into the pattern, the ri the rhythm of. Uh, well, and names? I don't want to call her Stephanie because that's like overly familiar. Yeah, sure. And I and I can't. I, I can't call her I, Ms. Barron or Ms. Hall because I'm not sure which one is actually just, her last name. You keep calling her Stephanie Barron Hall. I'm going to just I'm keep fine. doing it's it. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I consider my Enneagram type to be four, an individualist, which makes my core motivation finding my true self and having that true self seen by others. Hence my obsession with self-help books and getting overly personal on a podcast. Episode 49. That's right. Oh, man. Don't even go there. Brad is a seven, an enthusiast, and his core motivation is to retain freedom so he can go on adventures and escape discomfort or boredom. Since we have determined our types, have you been thinking of yourself as a seven or as an enthusiast? Uh, I would be lying if I said yes. I don't think that this terminology has sunk in the way that the five love languages have. Like, I'm always thinking about words of affirmation, you know, that like because that's what I crave. I know that I crave words of affirmation. I still adhere to the type, uh, the enthusiast type for myself. Over the other types. Over the other types. But I'm, I'm honestly, I'm still not sold on the whole thing yet. <laughs> but that our road trip episode where we talked about Groot number three. Yeah. Where Don and Norrin partner up with the Guardian of the Galaxy and have their little adventure. And then we typed everyone uh, on that episode, like that helped me understand the Enneagram and love in ways that even episode 50 uh, did not. Oh. So uh, I, I'm, I, I'm coming around. I'm starting to understand it. But no, I'm not thinking of myself as an enthusiast just yet. Well, it's still early on in the process. And by the end of episode 53, you're going to you're going to get enthusiasts 
tattooed across your chest. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I imagine, like, we, we've talked about this already, but these terms are easy to play with and mm-hmm. they are fun to attach to characters in particular. And so, like, I, I do see this terminology lasting the same way that the Gary Chapman stuff did. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Don Greenwood is a two, a helper. Her core motivation is to be needed and loved, and she feels most lovable when she is being of service. And Norrin Rad is a one, an improver, AKA the reformer. His core motivation is to be truly good and right. He believes in the idea of an ideal world and he works hard to bring it out. I would say we have actually been having a lot of fun with the Enneagram, both in episode 50 and with our latest road trip episode. And so has one of our listeners, Apple J, at blinded me with sci-fi on Twitter. She shared her findings with us using the hashtag surfing types. And it turns out that she's a five, an observer, which makes total sense since she's like a sciencey person who works with molecules and DNA and things I don't understand. And she took the Enneagram test for Gambit and he got a 98% six, which is the loyalist in our book, but is also referred to as the skeptic. Yeah, I like this. Which would explain why he may have some trust issues. Yeah. And he can't seem to shake the thieves guilt. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. If you want to share your type with us or type one of your favorite characters, share your results with us. We want to know. We're at CBCC Podcast on Twitter and use the hashtag surfntypes. So the word surf, the letter N, and the word types. Surfing types. Surfing types. Surf, surfing types. Surf. Types. Surf- you came up with this hashtag. I, I, I use the hashtag surf and types. Apple J made it correct with surf and types because <laughs> I don't know how surf and turf works. Yeah, apparently not. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I miss it. No, and I don't. Why don't you miss it? Because I'm because I'm vegan now. You literally ate cheese like five minutes That's ago. That's because I accidentally bought it. I accidentally <laughs> bought the cheese. I meant to get the non dairy. We're working on it. We're working on it. We're working on it. (laughs) In this episode, we're going to get into part two of the Enneagram in Love, the personality types in love, in which Stephanie Barinhall goes type by type, explaining how each type might think or behave in the context of a relationship with consideration to their level of development or health. Remember, the aim of the Enneagram is to transcend your type and not be unconsciously and thoughtlessly driven by your core motivation. The levels of development were created as a means to measure the progress made through the Enneagram work and break down into three main categories, unhealthy, average, and healthy. And an individual can fluctuate between these categories. I feel like I fluctuate between these categories on like one customer service call with Verizon (laughs) trying to get our internet fixed. I I mean, yes, for sure. That's why you do it and I cannot. I also think... (laughs) Both of us go through this process while recording an episode of this podcast often. And I think that it is a practice and there is a really great example of it in Silver Surfer of where you can start like at a mm. high level of health, but mm. you, somebody who is at a poor level of health can gradually like drag you down with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I they think, like I know wear what you're you down. About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unhealthy individuals are like zombie bodies driven by their core motivations. They can feel more like their thought patterns and behaviors are choosing them rather than they choose their thoughts and behaviors. In this state, it is their ego self making decisions rather than their more mindful conscious self. 
they can begin to see their strengths of their types as weaknesses, and they can take part in some despondent, self-sabotaging behaviors. Of course, there is a range of unhealthiness, and if you feel like you're at the rock bottom of these behaviors, seek out family, friends, or mental health professionals. By all means, don't listen to us rehash a self-help book on a podcast. This show is simply for haha. It's not like, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Average individuals can identify themselves in the stereotypical personality patterns of their type and will engage in behaviors that fall in both the healthy and unhealthy range. Most people live in the realm of average most of the time. Healthy individuals experience the true freedom of not being driven by their core motivations or their zombie ego selves. They are self-aware and self-accepting. And from the outside, you'll not be able to tell what their Enneagram type is. For each Enneagram type, Stephanie Baron Hall describes what they might think and behave like at their most healthy and their most unhealthy. So let's go to our Enneagram types and see if she can accurately describe what we are like at our very best and our very worst. I'll do me first. Okay. For this, I'm going to read directly from the book because uh, say anything about Stephanie Baron Hall. She is very concise. Mm. And I was really stressing myself yeah. trying to condense what she's already said. And I'm like, I can't condense this anymore. Just read it. Just read it. So here I go. Just to remind you, I'm a four, the individualist. Unhealthy fours can get lost in daydreams and believing that everyone else has something that they don't. They blame their partner for their unhappiness and become angry about their life and its challenges. Their anger is often directed inward, but their general unhappiness can cause tension in the relationship as fours can take the little things their partner does or doesn't do personally. When they get lost in their minds, fours can detach from reality and lack awareness of the impact of their actions, words, and feelings on others. Unhealthy to average fours fear abandonment. They tend to pull others in close with love, affection, and emotional connection, then push them away when they fear they could be hurt by letting someone in. Okay, so there's some stuff there that I think, yeah, that speaks to Lisa. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that you have, um, that that one of your fears is to be abandoned, to right. be left alone. Right. Uh, and, you know, you express that a lot, jokingly and not so jokingly to me. <laughs> uh, and I, I would say that you do, like, you look inward and your frustrations with yourself not so much your frustrations with me, but your frustrations with yourself will uh, consume you mm -hmm. when, and you'll have like a spiral, right? Yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's something you do. But that bit about blaming your partner for their unhappiness, that's something you don't do. Yeah, no, here is the, the ways that I do it. I do it in petty ways where <laughs> it's like, if you don't do something that I ask like dishes. Yeah. Or... It's, I take it as a reflection on like, clearly he doesn't know me cause he would know that I would really like the dishes done or he doesn't appreciate, he doesn't notice how I make my oatmeal in the morning. He doesn't recognize that I'm an oatmeal eater. And now I don't have a pot clean and it's telling me that my husband doesn't uh, know me. Uh, I just need to be told that though. I and know. now you always have a pot clean. That, Lisa. But, but like, the pet, like me going like, 
blaming you, going like the our tension is because you don't see who I am. Yeah, okay. But, uh-huh. but like this says, I also do that about myself. Y- that's yes. Like yes. yesterday, I had the longest day at work, and my Wednesdays are always super long. Not to date this, but Wednesday, and I got so tired by the end of the day that. Like most people would go like, ugh, I got up really early and I'm working really late and now I, I got up when it was dark and now I'm driving home one. And you dark. were doomsaying. And I was going like, clearly I have to reorganize my entire life yeah. because only a person, uh, sure. only a bad person would let themselves get that tired. Yeah. Okay, let's hear what I sound like at my healthiest. Healthy fours are in tune with who they believe they are and they are vulnerable in their successes and shortcomings. They bring a sense of true authenticity, beauty, and meaning to their relationships. They are highly intuitive and compassionate and have the ability to sit with others and mirror their emotions. Healthy fours support their partner's awareness of emotions and help them see the value and necessity of giving proper space to process them. They cultivate deep emotional intimacy and they are expressive of themselves and their true love for their partner. Uh, mirroring, that makes a lot of sense. I'm a big mirror. Big time, big time. Yeah. So if I'm down, you're down. Yeah, yeah. yeah but if sometimes happy, that's in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, think, it, I think it's just a fact. I mm-hmm. think that's just a fact. Yeah. I don't know how... Uh, healthy I am with consideration to my Enneagram, considering I just found out about it. Mm. But this is definitely something I aspire to. And and like just looking at my writing that I've done or what I do here on the podcast or on ItMod, like my point is always let's be compassionate, get to know my true self. Like I always put myself very much in the artistic things that I do. Yeah, sure, I agree. So so this is definitely a person I aspire to be more of the time. Now let's take a look at you. You're yes, a, please. a seven, the enthusiast. When unhealthy, sevens feel stifled by the care and nurturing of others. They tend to have an addictive personality and oh. are always looking for more from life. Mm. More fun, mm-hmm. drink, food, sex, adrenaline, Comic books, action figures, <laughs> art prints. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, keep going, keep going. I agree with all that. Impulsive, anxious, oh. and fiercely independent, they may run from emotional connection because they believe that a relationship can only result in pain and misery. Uh, that's a thousand percent me? Yeah. Uh, Unhealthy sevens, I'm oh not God. done. Oh, God. Uh, prefer to be physically or mentally alone because that is the only way to avoid being trapped. They can become strict, rigid, and perfectionist opposite of their normal personality pattern. Yeah, I mean, considering that my first real relationship was with you, Mm -hmm. uh, which started when I was 27, um, I was not interested in getting into any relationships for all those reasons. Yeah, okay, Uh, I've been seen. Um, yes. Let's hear about you at your healthiest. Oh, that wasn't my healthiest? Okay. (laughs) That's just your standard. Uh, Okay. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Healthy sevens radiate light and exuberance, tempered with a good dose of reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Healthy sevens can find the beauty, joy, and meaning in the good as well Mm -hmm. as the bad. They aren't afraid to see the challenging parts of life, and they are present and connected in the moment. Their enthusiasm doesn't drive them into the future, but keeps them grounded in the present. They are intimately connected with their partner and give themselves to the relationship. Rather than chasing their own pursuits, 
They look for opportunities to chase together. Hmm. That's you big time. Like uh, when, yeah. when I, you started growing your like connections through podcasting and through writing, the first thing you did was like, hey, Lisa's a great writer. That's how true. about how about she come along yeah, and do this yeah, with yeah. me? And now we do interviews together and all that stuff. That that's, that's true. I mean, the thing that I really pulled out of there, and you know, you talk about wanting to, you know, striving to that type. I strive to find the good and the bad mm-hmm. and the good in the opposition, right? And so that's something that I'm currently working on right now. So I, I hope all that is me. Yeah, absolutely. The, the last little bit says, less healthy sevens tend to reject their own feelings, but healthy mm. sevens are able to hold the positive and negative halves of their emotional spectrum in balance. Yeah, I like all of that. I yeah. like all of that. Because I, yeah. I do think that you are a person who always sees the other side of the coin. Like even the other side of the coin of something that you love. All right, yeah. So uh, on episode 50, we talked about the types of Norin and Don. Um, what, what, do they got, what have they got in there for, uh, for them? So this is what I want us to be holding in our minds. There's a motorcycle outside. Could you guys hear that, listeners? <laughs> We're not editing it nope. out. We're bringing you the realness. I value authenticity. Okay. But we are going to try to cut out our dishwasher sounds. Nope, not going to do that either. (laughs) This is what I want us to be holding in our minds as we go into our book discussion. So this is Norin Rad. This is one, the improver. Unhealthy ones are self-righteous and dogmatic. They believe they know the truth and are the gatekeepers of what is right in life. They can be intolerant and inflexible and highly judgmental of themselves and their partner. Mm. When very unhealthy, they can become obsessive about fixing everything they see. Mm. I want to challenge this, but I really can't. I know. Isn't it? It's right on the silver nose. Yeah, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Healthy ones are more realistic about the world. They see where they and their partner have fallen short, and they hold these downfalls in tension with all of the beauty and good they see around them. They are ethical, principled, and balanced. They are incredibly attentive in their relationships and see every small detail of life as a piece of a bigger purpose. Healthy ones seek to find the good, the honorable, and the perfectly imperfect in themselves and their partner— rather than chasing elusive ideals of the less healthy levels. Mm. Their ideals drive them towards others, not away. Mm. Yeah, I like all of that. You know, the suspicious part of me wonders, could we make any type fit for the characters that we have? Oh, that's interesting. But, but I, right I really, now... I, th- I feel like they're so different. Well, we typed them back in the 50th episode. We must have done a really good job, even though we were just getting into the Enneagram. Yeah, but we know these characters super well. That's true. That's true. All right. Here's Dawn. She's a two, a helper. Less healthy twos become demanding about getting their needs met. They can be manipulative and use their emotional attunement to get what they want rather than to help others. In a romantic relationship, unhealthy twos place such a high value on reciprocity that any little action on their part will require greater repayment from their partner. They are not aware how contentious and destructive their relationship is or that their entire world revolves around perceived love or lack of it from their partner. Unhealthy twos tend to lose themselves in relationships as they find ways to conform completely to be whomever they believe their partner wants. Hmm. Okay. Now here is Dawn at her healthiest. All right. I'm less like sure on that as I was Norn and myself. This is Dawn at her healthiest. 
At their healthiest, twos are truly altruistic. They give of themselves freely without any expectation of return, and they are inspiring, nurturing, and deeply mm -hmm. loving. Mm -hmm. They know that their partner isn't theirs to fix, so they have a keen understanding of what emotional weight is theirs to carry and what belongs to their partner. Healthy twos know that their relationship with self is as important as their relationship with their partner and that they cannot give when depleted. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. That's mm -hmm, pretty good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my idea for this session with Don and Norin is that we look at these different uh, touchstones in this particular volume of Worlds Apart and try to determine are they at their healthiest? Or their unhealthy state? Or somewhere in the middle. Okay. All right. I like this. I like this. But before we can do that, Lisa, we have to take a break for words of affirmation. It's a words of affirmation break. Yes. We need a theme song. Gong. Oh, I went for a gong. I oh, gong's good. Hit the gong one more time, Lisa. Gong. Since our last episode, we actually crossed over 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. That blows my mind. It's crazy. Thank you to everyone who leaves a review. And now we're going to take the remainder of this episode to read all 104 reviews. Best episode ever. <laughs> Just kidding. Instead, we'll read the latest one, which comes from Lycidas is Dead, which is a John Milton poem, Lisa. We just wikipedia it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Check out the big brain on us. Us. Uh, it's called Unique and Excellent, a five-star review, and it reads, I'm blown away by the level of expertise, curiosity, and creativity in this podcast. Lisa and Brad unsurprisingly have excellent chemistry, whew, thank goodness, <laughs> and a vast knowledge of beloved comics and characters. But the introduction of the social sciences handled with care and respect truly sets this show apart from anything else out there, a really special offering for nerds and inquisitive minds everywhere. That's really lovely. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Sweet. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Now we need to hit the gong that we're out of the words of affirmation section, Lisa. Hit that gong. Gong. That's very good. That's very good. We're in trade paperback number two, which consists of Silver Surfer Volume 7, issues 6 through 10, written by Dan Slott, illustrated by Mike Allred, duh, colored by Laura Allred, and lettered by Joe Sabino, uh, which is a letter change from the first volume, which yes. I think is interesting. Mm. Uh, the basic plot synopsis, snatched right off of Lisa's favorite summary site, Goodreads, says this about this volume. Everything up until now was chance and fate, but now it's decided. Dawn has earned her spot on the board, and she and the surfer are going to explore the universe together. And the universe holds many wonders, including Planet Prime, the most perfect planet in the universe, a lone lighthouse floating in the void at the edge of all space and time, and an unlikely planet with a population of 666 billion beings, each from a different race. But can they survive the threats of Warrior One, the greatest monster in the galaxy, and a very strange spacefaring family? and witness the Silver Surfer's soul laid bare in a cosmic clash unlike any you have ever seen. It's a cosmic tale of triumph and tragedy as the Surfer takes on Galactus. 
Not too bad, Goodreads. Uh, whoever is writing the copy for this particular run of Marvel Comics is killing it. It's Marvel Comics themselves, because they just took it right off the back of the trade paperback, Lisa. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent work. Um, it also feels a little bit like they just open to random pages and go like, this is what's on that page, that, page. This is what's on that page. A little bit. But sure. I mean, that's more effort than a lot of these Goodreads summaries, so. Jumping right into this first issue, which is actually the sixth issue, uh, this volume is a hard sit if you love Norrin and Don, right? And it starts off in the most adorable and cutesy way where Norrin learns about consent. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Don has a human body and a human body needs to pee all the time and eat all the time. Norrin has the power cosmic. He doesn't have to worry about any of those things. And she starts off saying like, hey, I need to pee. Hey, I need to eat. And he accommodates her. He takes her to that planet that looks straight out of that Nighthawks diner painting. Uh, and, and and he's having a good time. But every time he has to stop, every time he has to pause on his journey, which is to a destination of nowhere, but just the very act of pausing, which is something he hasn't done in a while, he's starting to get annoyed. And when she finally says, you know, I think there's something wrong with my uh, throat, he just reaches in there with a power cosmic and rips out her tonsils, curing her of her pain, but now she wants ice cream. Yeah, well, I to me, this is the example of, he starts this issue in tremendously good health. He is excited to show her all of these places. He does have a timeline in mind because he is on this quest to redeem himself, which she doesn't quite know of yet. But with each human bodily need she has, his health bar is diminishing to like, yeah, she, he takes her to the diner at first, but eventually he's like, here's the space kelp. It's non-poisonous. <laughs> Just stick it in your hole. Oh, my. So by the time we get to the tonsils incident, he's like, this is not efficient. This is not the way you go through space. Like, we see that oneness that, like, let's just fix this and move on starting to come out. But she gives a very, like, vulnerable, unhealthy to response of going like, well, now you have to meet my need. Right. You have to find ice cream for me, stat. Not just ice cream, but the greatest ice cream in the galaxy. The universe. Right, the greatest ice cream in the universe. And Norrin Rad uses his power cosmic to find such ice cream, and it's on Planet Prime. And of course, Norrin, being a total one, is like, this planet is amazing, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's a planet where... Jobs can only be done by the person on the planet who does it the best. Right. So they meet ice cream maker one. He's the guy who makes the best ice cream. And then there's like waitress one, the best waitress. Tour guide one, the best tour guide. And uh, Silver Surfer is a great tipper because wherever he goes, <laughs> he's like, here, let me just... Uh, just pull regalian gold out of like the the random molecules in this diner, yeah, which yeah. actually he ends up paying for, pun not intended and stupid, later. <laughs> <laughs> because Warrior One enters. That's right. All that Rigelian gold that he's creating out of thin air destroys their economy, and Banker One calls in the military, who is Warrior One. So we see Silver Surfer being actively fed his words because Warrior <laughs> One is so good and so perfect that Silver Surfer is afraid he's kind of going to lose he's this struggling. fight. Luckily, Don Greenwood, ever being the helper, looks around and is like, what can I do? And she s happens to see a warrior with a number two badge. 
and she strikes up a conversation with her, and Warrior 2 is like, man, that Warrior 1, he's breaking all kinds of regulations, but what can I do about it? I'm Warrior number 2. And then Don Greenwood has the brilliant idea and goes like, Silver Surfer, pull off Warrior 1's badge. And in doing so, Warrior 1 is now Warrior 0. Yeah. And Warrior 2 gets a promotion and fights over. Yeah, Warrior 1, inter existential crisis. That's right. <laughs> I, I love Don. Like, he's like, I'm Warrior 0. I have no home. And now you... Silver Surfer and Earth Girl, you have an enemy forever. And she's like, I have an enemy? Yeah, you do. And and Silver Surfer's like, yep, and we're going to make friends. Things are great. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Marvel Comics. That's right. But this is a prime example of how two different types bring two different perspectives to a situation because Norrin Rad is thinking this is a perfect warrior what can I, even with the power cosmic, what what can I, with my imperfections, bring to the table mm. where Dawn is looking around and she is doing what Mr. Rogers says to do. She's looking for the helpers and, and that is how they come to a solution. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the way this issue closes because it really puts a button on how their two types are complementary to each other because... Finally, they can get off planet Prime. They can go back to the stars. And Silver Surfer's like, finally, here we go. And then Don Greenwood does a little tappity tap tap on his shoulder. <laughs> and she's like, um, Norrin? And he's like, what? And she's like, the most beautiful thing is happening yeah. over there. And can we both just take a pause and watch it? And with that request, all of his tension just leaves. And so... This is why I find this volume of the Allred and Slot run so painful, mm. right? Because it takes you through this little hiccup in their dynamic where Norrin has to adjust to the biology of, of the person that he's traveling with. And even though he goes through this amazing adventure with Warrior Prime, they, you know, thanks to her, they survive it and he beats Warrior One through her logic. He still snaps at her, right, mm -hmm. at the end, and then has to go, oh, once again, she's showing me the beauty of this universe. And restoring me to health. Restoring me to health. And it ends on this splash page with the two of them just sitting on Toomey and gazing at the this gorgeous wonder. And you feel like, as a narrative, we've just gone through this hump. They understand each other. Norrin appreciates her. And it's going to be smooth sailing from mm -hmm. here on forward. But actually, we're starting the real rough journey uh, of their relationship in the next issue. And it's and it's tough for a long haul. Yeah, for a long haul. At the same time, at the start of every relationship is when you should get your deepest, darkest secrets out there mm -hmm. to see if your partner can help you with them or overcome them or look past them. And while this is, we're, we're now entering the phase of the relationship, which is pretty rocky and tense and gives me a sour stomach as fans of this couple, um, it, you have to get through this stuff to get to the golden, the Rigelian golden stuff. But we have one more issue of cutes before we get to the real devastating stuff. Yeah, the next issue is a bottle episode, right? And we get the impression that a lot of time yeah. has passed and they've had a lot of adventures. I love that Minotaur kid. 
And we see them truly enjoying each other's company and kind of egging each other on, like testing their adventure level. Mm. And they come across this point in space that uh, piques Norrin's curiosity because it is truly nothingness. Something he's never seen before. And he's like, do you want to, like, do you want to take a look? And she's like... Yeah, I do. And so they go off into the nothingness and they see, they spot a beacon. And when they approach the beacon, turns out it's a trap. And Don gets pulled off of Toomey and it's up to Silver Surfer and Toomey as a team to retrieve Don. And in order to stay keyed in on her essence, Silver Surfer and Toomey trade stories about all of the other myriad of times Don has been pulled off of yeah, the board. Yeah, it's really great. It's really, and if you look at the art, uh, the surfer is spinning on the outer p- parts of the page, you know, as these stories are being told. It's, and and Toomey too. So and, if, it's, if it's a Silver Surfer story, it's Surfer. If it's a Toomey story, it's Toomey. Yeah, it's extremely inventive uh, sequential storytelling. And just a hint of what's to come, because the next trade paperback kicks off with an amazing, crazy paneling issue. I uh, I read that today, pre- preparing. I'm, I'm preparing ahead, yeah. and it devastated me. Yeah, it practically ruined my day reading that issue. A lot issue. of people consider issue 11 the highlight of the series. It's amazing. It's very good. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead <laughs> of ourselves. The first memory was from Coleopter 3. Uh, Don is being pulled off of the board by this like herd of like these space ladybugs. And Norn figures out, oh, it's because they see your black dots. So all we have to do is take the dots off of your dress and bye-bye evil ladybugs. Uh, It's just like the tonsils. Yeah, she's like, how dare you change this part of me without giving me ice cream? No, she's like, I need my dots. I am the dots. They've been with me since I'm a kid. You learned that it's how the dad differentiated between Eve and Don. And like to Silver Surfer's brain, it's kind of like, what does that really matter? Like this ornamental part of yourself. But because of who she is and how important it was to her, he's like, I get it. I hear you. From this moment on, I solemnly swear to respect your dots. Respect the dots. I mean, you know, he he's not the silver surfer without his silver, right? Like, he can silver down, but the power cosmic is part of his being. The dots are part of Don's being. But she has, unlike uh, silver surfer, she has to wear her dots all of the time, where Norin will silver down. She'll never silver down. She'll never dot down. Silver surfer doesn't like to silver down either. But the important thing is... <laughs> That he learns to respect the ornamental and the sentimental. It's not all about efficiency anymore. It's it's not all about, like, perfection. But if I was Norrin in this scene and I wanted to stir a fight, I would remind Don about the time she asked me to silver down yeah. and have dinner, right? Because, oh, man. you know, she's not respecting his silver. But, it, I mean, but... He wasn't respecting the soup. That's true. That's true. That's true. And that's what you would have said as Don back at me, and we would have kept fighting for a little while. And now you've gotten a little glimpse, listeners, into how we role play in the bedroom. Oh, no. Don't (laughs) don't show them that glimpse. (laughs) The next memory is Toomey's, and it's uh, on Reina Terra, and Silver Surfer had 
atomized him and reformed him to get right. the jump on whatever the villain was in that that situation. Not respecting his atoms. That's right. And Don Greenwood notices that like Toomey feels a way about it. And she's like, hey, it's no problem. Do you want me to just tell Silver Surfer to stop doing that? And and he and Toomey is like, would you do that? And she's like, of course, it's no problem. And she goes to Silver Surfer and she's like, Toomey really hates it when you deatomize him and reform him. And Silver Surfer's like, huh, I never knew that. Yeah. I'll never do that again. And I think that Don Greenwood's changed his entire view and his entire relationship with Toomey. Oh, for sure. Toomey was not even a character before uh, Don Greenwood came around and respected the board. The board is being a little bit like Dr. McCoy from Star Trek. He needs to get used to being deatomized. It comes in handy. Yeah, it, and it does come up later. And I don't think that Don is in peak health when that happens. <laughs> put, put a pin in that. Put yeah. a pin in that. Yeah. And then um, the next memory, I'm trying to like, it's hard for me to not recap every single page. The next memory is um, Dawn and Silver Surfer are having a picnic on the grass. And she's like, hey, I really would love you to enjoy this picnic with me. Why don't you silver down so that we can eat together? And he's like, I really hate silvering down. But she's like, picnic, look around, it's safe. And so he silvers down. And then uh, Captain Char comes up and chops his arm off. Not respecting his silver. Yeah, and then... Um, She's she's like, oh, man, like and he reattaches his arm. It's practically no problem. And John Greenwood is like, hey, uh, when do you think it'll be fully healed and you can silver down again? And he's like, there <laughs> is nothing yeah. worth silvering down and taking that kind of risk again. Nothing. Of course, in that last memory is like the tip off of like, oh, I know how to solve this problem. And then he goes like, the darkness didn't take me when I had my silver up. So I'm gonna silver down. As soon as he silvers down, he, the darkness grabs him and pulls him to Don Greenwood. And she is clearly frightened and he assures her and says, I am here, Don Greenwood, and I will never leave your side. So literally in the last memory, he's like, I'm never silvering down. Nothing is ever worth making myself vulnerable. And now Turns clearly, out, yes. Don's worth it. And this issue ends with, him taking a piece of himself and turning it into the silver oh, ring and giving it to her saying like, this is a piece of myself so that if we ever get separated again, I will, we can always come back together. And she has literally the sweetest response. She's like, does this mean we're going out? So we begin to see the love, they're falling in love, or at least devotion to each other. By the end of the seventh issue, it's established itself as a romance comic, as a relationship comic, right? And issue eight is where it's really going to test everything, test that relationship. And it opens on a catastrophically sad sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, we're on the planet New Haven, and uh, founder Keen is eulogizing uh, Wega Lolo, who is being laid to rest. The last of the Logarians. The last of the Logarians. And, you know, he's being placed into his grave. And on the final panel of these three pages is this massive, huge panel. We see this enormous uh, grave site. And we realize that Wegalolo is the last of the Logarians, but each of these tombstones represents the last of their race. Mm -hmm. And we know, having read this comic already, that each of these races 
were attacked by Galactus. And these are the people who fled Galactus's hunger. And so when they die, their whole culture, their whole history dies with them. And there's that other panel where it's this close-up of the Logarian tombstone against an all-white background. And it's so lonely. It's so isolating. And in these three pages, you really get the horror of Galactus. And the horror of Silver Surfer. And the horror of Silver Surfer. Meanwhile, out in space, Don Greenwood and Silver Surfer are in such a place of contentment. Like, Don Greenwood literally can is so comfortable, she can lie down and fall asleep on Toomey. And then once she's asleep, like, it's just like Silver Surfer and Toomey going like, isn't isn't this the best? Isn't this the most funnest? It's so adorable. Of course, they say it in like Silver Surfer ter- terms, like the beating of her heart to my ears is not unpleasant. <laughs> um, but they they conspire to do something nice for her as soon as she wakes up, and the nice thing they choose to do is to let her drive to me. Oh, women drivers. <laughs> you mean human drivers? That's right. They're the worst. <laughs> and she ends up crashing to me into this planet and she and Silver Surfer are just like laughing all the way. But when they land, Silver Surfer is like, there is something with this planet. I am being like barraged with all of these different species and stuff. And she's like, well, can't you just silver down and quiet all of that information coming in? And he's, he's like, that's a great idea. And he does. As they're browsing this planet and they're meeting all these various different life forms, everyone is so welcoming, like overly welcoming. And like, this is your new home. Yeah. You're yeah, living here right. now. Um, the problem is when Don calls Norin, Norin. And suddenly people start to put one and one together, like, wait, Norin, Norin Rad, oh my God, the Herald of Galactus. And they all freak out because they've all survived the Holocaust of Galactus. And Dawn is confused. She doesn't know anything about this. But the Silver Surfer, he does not deny their accusations. And in, she, he tries to explain. He tries to explain, but he doesn't deny. And once she realizes that there's truth to this, I mean, her world is turned upside down. It was all fun and games, but you're a demon. Yeah, you're she, a monster. She, you're a killer of women and children. She's like, get the hell away from me. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to be out. I'm just going to lightly orbit this planet and call me if you need me. And, and this is an experience he has had in other series. You mm-hmm. know, people do come to terms with, oh, he's this herald and... You know, so like this experience that he's experiencing with Don is not new to him, even if it's new to Don. He's been dreading it this entire time. And so when he and Toomey are alone, Toomey is upset with him. And he's like, I know, I know it was only a matter of time. But and this is a quote that just goes like stabs me right in the heart. Sometimes I like to forget who I really am as well. So, like, he was using his relationship with Don as this kind of escape moment. Yeah, as a block, as like a mental block of what he had done. Yeah. While Norrin is sulking in the spaceways, Don is getting the 411 from the New Haven residence. And she even recalls the moment when Surfer referenced how once upon a time he did judge Earth and they passed. And that 
that now is just like, oh my God, it's it's bringing Dawn to tears. It sickens her. And she feels horrible because if it wasn't for her driving to me, he never would have found this planet. Yeah. And guess what? Galactus is following the surfer and he's found the signature and he's found New Haven and he's coming to finish the job. What Founder Keen and the other New Havians instruct Don Greenwood to do is to call him back one more time just to tell him it's over. I never want to see you again. And get going. Go the other direction in space as fast as you can. And so she calls him back. And of course he comes and he has this opportunity to explain to her what had happened on Zen Law and that Galactus was going to eat his world and he offered himself as Harold to stop that from happening. And yeah, that's all well and good, Norrin, but uh, what about all the other planets in between Zen Law and Earth? Exactly. And she says, I don't want to know you anymore. Yeah, it's over. It's quits. Of course, exactly in that instant, that's when Galactus shows up and um, everybody starts descending on Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood going like, this is your fault. You made this happen. Like, and Silver Surfer goes like, this is my fault. I have to make amends. And he instructs Toomey to take Don Greenwood off planet. But Don Greenwood She's is like, She's not having it. If no one else can leave this planet, I'm I'm here. Neither will I. So yeah. she's essentially holding herself hostage, going like, you have no if like if you love me, you're saving this planet. And he gives a valiant effort, right? He and Toomey take to the sky, and uh, he does something he's never done before. He literally uh, destroys a moon. He uses a moon like David and Goliath. The issue's called Slingshot. He uses one of the lunar bodies to fire it upon Galactus's being. And there's this great panel where Dawn realizes what he's doing. And she goes, he's surfing the moon. That panel, by the way, served as my Facebook banner for like two years. Yeah. I love that panel. He's surfing the moon. And he brings the moon upon Galactus. It shatters it's not enough. It's not enough to take down Galactus. In fact, Galactus turns his eyes upon the surfer and he says, I'm going to remove the power cosmic from you. Don Greenwood and all of New Haven uh, are watching from below, eyes to the skies, and Founder Keen is like, he's failed. And Don Greenwood is like, what? And so she grabs the binoculars and she looks and we see Norin Rad, silver down, floating in space, looking pretty dead. Kaput. New issue, not dead, just faking. And Don goes like, oh my goodness, he deatomized Toomey. He promised to never deatomize Toomey again. And Krataka is like, who's one of the New Havians, is like, yeah, he's a liar. Get with the program. Meanwhile, Silver Surfer immediately apologizes to Toomey, like, I know that you hate that. I just had to do this one thing to save the planet. And I'm sure Toomey is totally cool with it. I'm sure that's what Surfer wants to think. And I'm sure that's what the reader wants to think. But we don't get Toomey's point of view. So we don't know how he feels about this moment. Like he's going to be like, screw this entire planet. I like to be atomized, please. I'm just saying we don't get his point of view. It would be nice for him to be like, just this once. (laughs) (laughs) Thumbs up. (laughs) Silver Surfer and Galactus start battling. And Galactus is smack talking. He's like, you're going to fail. And Silver Surfer's like, no, I am not going to fail. I fight for the innocent, for the powerless, for all that is right. 
he is in peak oneness now. He is being entirely selfless. It just took Don Greenwood to get him there. Um, and Galactus is like, actually, your past makes you a POS. And <laughs> Silver Surfer's like... He's not wrong. It's not like you put me in that yeah, position. Yeah. You were going to eat my planet, and so I volunteered to be your herald. And the New Havians below hear that. And founder Keen gets the brilliant idea of going like, oh, guess what? Hey, Galactus, if you spare my world, I'll be your herald. I am Spartacus. And everyone starts uh, requesting to be herald. But Galactus ain't having it. He says no. He's like, you're remnants. I've already eaten your planets. I, I don't care. And then Don, Don. Yeah, that's right. So Don knows that he never ate Earth. Ooh. So Don goes like, hey, spare this world and I will be your herald. And do you think like Earth is just like a really delicious cheesecake that he was denied? Like, why should he care that he missed out on Earth? But I think he does have, like, a gotta catch them all <laughs> attitude about planets. Yeah, yeah. But, like, to me, this is a very unhealthy two thing to do because she is putting everybody else, like, going back to the book, like, a healthy two realizes that her self and her value is on equal footing with everybody else's value. Um, where in this instance, she's devaluing herself. Mm, I see what you're saying there. I love that she does this. I, I'm not saying that this was the wrong thing to do or a bad thing to do. I'm just saying. But in terms of the Enneagram in love, it's an unhealthy action. Mm-hmm. Surfer is begging and pleading to Galactus not to give her the power cosmic, but he doesn't want to hear it. Uh, so he attacks Galactus with all his might, but he is impotent against this space god. And Galactus gives Don Greenwood his abilities, or a piece of his abilities. She is in the process of becoming a herald for Galactus. And that's when the New Havians, uh, led by Keen, come up with their own solution. They all get into their pods and they leave New Haven. Surfer, not sure what to do, he pleads to Don, you have to renounce being a herald. You cannot accept this. And Don won't, she refuses. And he, he's begging her and begging her. And he, in this moment, in the tiniest of words says, I love you. And here we see the, the chink in Silver Surfer's principles, something he values more than his redemption. Like, mm. I would love to save these lives, but I do not equivocate all of these lives to this one life. This life is the one that I love. And uh, guess what, Lisa? That speaks to the first decision he ever made or the first catastrophic decision. You know, when Zen Law was on the line, he put their lives above his own and above the lives of billions of others. Of every other planet he then led Galactus yeah. to. Oh no. Is the moral of the story like never love? Because if you love, uh, you'll just stand by the murder of billions? We're not at the end of this storyline just yet, Lisa. And thankfully we don't even have to answer that question right now because founder Keen has found a solution for Norrin and Dawn. Uh, they offer up their planet to Galactus. They've left the surface. Go ahead and eat this thing. 
and uh, we don't need it anyway. Just give us the girl. Just give us the girl. Norrin says to Founder Keen, look, I've been a Herald before and I can be a Herald again. I can be a Herald for you and the rest of the New Havians. And that's what happens. He leads this train of ships away from the debris of their planet and they go off into the final frontier. But of course we can't end without one more like twist of the knife, twist <laughs> of the heartbreak. And we get uh, Norrin's narration and he says, I will do everything in my power to ease their pain, for I too know how it feels. Cut to an image of Don Greenwood, when your whole world comes to an end. So like he goes like, now this, the woman that I love has seen who I truly am, and I truly am irredeemable. I'm irredeemable in her eyes, I am irredeemable to myself. Like all it's I a, can- It's yeah. a really sad, depressing ending. I mean, the last panel is a tear dripping from Don's face and the word end. Like it's the finality of this arc. It's, it's immense. And you wonder, well, how can this, how can this grow from here? How can you grow out of this? And we're not going to answer that this episode. And and it's hard. It's, right, yeah. It's hard not to just keep talking about this. I mean, this. clearly, you already went into the next volume. I'm waiting. I haven't even read the next volume. You're cheating. I I am, but I can't leave it here. Yeah, I know. I know, because it hurts. It hurts. But what we do have to talk about is what have we learned from this particular volume of Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood's story, along with what we have learned from the Enneagram and love. I keep going back to this great shame that consumes Norrin Rad. That has to come out. And it's never going to come out at an, an opportune time because it's the type of thing that is so horrible that whenever your partner learns about it, um, it's going to destroy them. And if how or if they can live with it determines that relationship, you know, and it, and it, not only that, it determines if Norrin can live with himself. Right. So now that the secret is out there, he can grow beyond it with Don or Don can reject him. And he, this cycle will start again with some new people. Now, not all of us have a shame quite as immense uh, as Norrin Rad's. But for Norrin Rad, his experience with Galactus was a nodal event. I think that before he gave his pledge to Galactus, he was a seven. He was an enthusiast. He wanted to see the world. He wanted to explore the stars. He felt contained on Zen Law. Then he is the Galactus's herald, and he takes on this immense shame, and in doing so, he becomes the improver. He becomes yeah. the- He has a new mission. Exactly. And so that shame is intimately connected to his core motivation. His core motivation is to redeem himself and to be good. And if Don, doesn't understand truly what his core motivation is. Cause I feel like he's kind of been selling himself as an enthusiast. Let's just go explore. We're just having fun planet to yeah, planet. Yeah, true, true, true. But now she knows, oh, he's on this redemptive path or she comes to that realization in the next issue, which is why I shouldn't 
read ahead. But um, <laughs> so without knowing his core motivation, Don Greenwood cannot know him. And I think Don Greenwood also has a nodal event that makes her want to be a helper and go like, unless I am helping this situation, I cannot be loved. I will be rejected. So while we don't all have shame like Norrin Rad, we do generally all have a purpose or a motivation, right? And you need to share that motivation and purpose with your other. Not just with your other, but with everyone. Because remember, mm. one of the key signs of someone with an unhealthy level of development is the belief that your strength is in fact a weakness. Mm, mm, mm. Silver Surfer believes that because of his past, he is a bad person and that like this this pow this drive to improve the world and to save people is a direct result of his weakness. No, his past is his strength. And so like by being honest with the world with your about your core motivation, like my core core motivation, hey, I want to be seen as an individual. And that's not embarrassing. That's not like um, pandering. It's who you are. It's my strength. It's my strength. I want to truly be seen. And, you know, like growing up as a nerd who was a fan of things, I, I'm sure that there were times when you felt othered because yeah, yeah, yeah. when Russell Johnson caught me in the Toys R Us aisle looking at Star Trek Next Generation Playmates figures. Yes. And, and you what go, was he like, doing there, though? Oh, you make an excellent point. But like, <laughs> you know, in that moment you were feeling shame, but your enthusiasm is your strength. It's It draws people to you. You find like-minded people and, and you create a community. Like- True, yeah, absolutely. Rock on. Before the nine points of the Enneagram symbol were associated with these nine personality types, they were first associated with what was referred to as ego fixations, which were the seven deadly sins plus two. What? So deceit and fear. So everybody has this sin that they are indulging in, and the uh. idea is that you transcend your sin. But what the um, pop psychology twist does to the Enneagram and goes like, do you know what? That, that sin is actually the mirror side of your strength. Oh, weird. So hold on. Uh, the Enneagram is an extension of Christianity? Is it a Christian idea? It was kind of a melding of Christianity towards Eastern religion. Interesting. And uh, it was actually um, in her journals, Mother Teresa referred to her Enneagram work. Really? Richard Rohr, who is this kind of Jesuit hippie guy, refers a lot to the Enneagram. But what I like about the narrative of the Enneagram is that it started in this very negative place. Like everybody has their ego fixation. Everybody has this sin that they have to work hard to transcend. But it has changed over the years to go from everybody has their sin to everybody has their strength oh, yeah. or their drive. Oh, man. I, I mean, you're blowing my mind here. That I love that twist on that idea. Uh, 
this is fascinating, Lisa. I want to talk more about this off the air, too. Yeah, but, like, I of course it appeals to you sure. because you are an enthusiast uh, yeah. and you love <laughs> to hold the dark and the light in the same place. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Where I'm an individualist and I'm like, why would the point of the Enneagram be like, okay, you have to transcend who you really are. Mm. You have to, uh, like, I have to be unlike the individualist. I have to be more like this healthy person. But clearly our journey with the Enneagram and Stephanie Barenhall is just beginning. Yeah, and as much as I hate to leave Don and Norrin at this place, this dark, grim arena this caravan in the stars of sadness uh we have to well, uh, but the sooner we end this episode the sooner we can just bring them back together again uh, that's <laughs> that's right that's right so next week it's a lot of comics it's going to be a challenge for you and us me in particular because i take so many notes <laughs> get, and i want to talk about everything but we're going to get through it all lisa because if we want to cover the whole series in four episodes it's what we got to do. So we'll be reading Slot and Allred's Silver Surfer, Volume 7, Issues 11 through 14, as well as Silver Surfer, Volume 8, Issues 1 through 6. Yep, that's right. Thanks to Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars, we got another numbering reboot. But if we want to keep it nice and clean, we can just say we're reading Slot and Allred's Silver Surfer Trade Paperbacks, Volumes 3 and 4. 4, 8, 15, 16, <laughs> no, stop, 32, stop, stop. 4, 8, What's 15, rad 16. about these issues, though, is that it also does include the legacy number 200, which is where Lisa's Don Greenwood cosplay photos reside. <laughs> Still a lifetime highlight for the both of us. Lisa and Brad Gullickson Our names are in a Marvel comic, and they are in Silver Surfer issue 200. So if you're ever flipping through back issues, why don't you look for me? I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. I'm really excited. I'm really excited. To me, my Brad, it's time to surf the cosmic skyways. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, as well as our celebratory Big 5-0 poster art, then send them over to at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Uh, We should also say... Follow Four Color Fantasies on their Facebook page right now because their charity auction is coming to a close. The last days are the 12th of September. Uh, The Daniel Warren Johnson art, original Daniel Warren Beta Ray Bill Johnson art is currently at $550. Will Brad bid $600? I really want to, but I can't (laughs) afford it. Uh, But Lisa, 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 besides going over to Four Color Fantasies Facebook page and checking in on their charity auction, Uh, Where can our listeners uh, send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and iTunes. If you like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, www dot comic book couples counseling dot com nailed it or follow us on instagram and twitter at cbcc podcast you can give us the gift of five stars on itunes and if you'd like to do an active service why not write a review of the show while you're there 
We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, folks, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.